0: Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Bible this afternoon, turn to 1 Kings chapter number 18. The last time we were together we were looking at the the, uh, the prophet who's well known in the Old Testament as Elijah and tonight will be no different. As we look in chapter, chapter 18 of 1 Kings, we will see here how this is the high point of many people who know Elijah. They usually pinpoint this event in Elijah's life. However, I don't want you to miss the point of Elijah's life because uh, the Bible tells us in the New Testament we're going to turn there in, in the book of James but before you get there find 1 Kings chapter 18 and we're going to have a book in we're going to have the beginning and the end back in James chapter number 5 as we begin to turn in our Bibles I, we re, I remind our congregation I choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses it reports supernatural events that took place and fulfilled a prophecy it's divine not human in origin we here at the river believe in the five souls us. And I know you can say it with me. The, uh, we believe in the Bible alone. We believe in faith alone. and believe in Christ alone. We believe in grace alone. And God alone receives the glory and he certainly will tonight. In 1 Kings chapter uh, 18 verse number 1, if you have it there, we, go ahead and let's follow along. After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. Well, We must understand here as we're picking up here, if you don't remember the last time we were together the, it, when he says the third year he's talking about the third year of the drought and whatever we look at the last previous chapter we see that Elijah goes into hiding because God puts him in a place he pulls him away from the public view he goes into hiding because the people wanted to kill Elijah obviously as he gives an ominous prophecy to the whole nation people are going to blame Elijah and not necessarily God they, it, once again you cannot be neutral about the man of God if the man of God stands behind the pulpit or he prophesies and teaches and preaches against your favorite sins either you hate the man of God or you hate your sin amen somebody of course here Elijah is now pulled out of public view and he goes to the, a brook and he stays there and God feeds him every day with ravens and eventually after the brook dries up because of the drought the, besides the point that there was a brook in the middle of a drought that God sustained him there but took him to a place where there was a widow who was able to feed him and her son during the time of a famine and not only that it was in the city of the of the sworn enemy of Elijah uh, spiritually speaking because it was Jezebel's father who Jezebel comes from a long line of pagan Baal worshippers now we see that Elijah is getting ready to still back into the public spotlight after many days the Lord tells him after the third year go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth in verse 2 so Elijah went to show himself to Ahab now the famine was severe in Samaria I want you to notice in the this chapter, chapters 18 and chapter 17, nowhere do we see the prayer for God to send the drought. We just know that God is sending a drought. And we see the proclamation of Elijah to the nation that God will not allow it to rain. With that being set up, let's start with the first bookend. If you would, turn in your Bible to James chapter 5 verse 17. This is the overall uh, point of view. This is, where, uh, this is the highlight. This is what I want you to walk away with tonight, knowing about Elijah. In James chapter 5 verse 17, as you turn there, you'll see that the half-brother of Jesus, who was uh, the brother of Jesus, who grew up with Jesus, who worshipped Jesus, who was the leader of the, of the church in Jerusalem, wrote this about Elijah. First, uh, in James chapter 5 verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And verse 18, "...and when he prayed again, the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit." My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and, and, and will recover a multitude of sins. Uh, what I want you to see here in James chapter number 5 in verse 17, he was a man with a nature like ours. To, 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 to put it plainly, he was like me and you. The only difference with Elijah is that you can understand in, in 2 Kings chapter after number one or two. I can't remember. But we know that the way he dressed was something that gave away who he was. Because we know he, he came in the likeness of e, uh, John the Baptist. The Bible tells us that uh, Elijah actually wore camel's hair and a leather belt. That was the only thing that he was probably a little different from me and you. Uh, of course, John the Baptist ate locusts and he ate honey. And maybe your diet don't consist of that. But it says that he has a nature like you and I. And he prayed Feverently Fervently means hot. That means that we're not to ask amiss. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. I want to really cover what Elijah does here back in 1 Kings chapter 18 that he prayed. What you really need to understand about Elijah is that he's a praying man. The reason you need to understand that is even though all this is getting ready to take place on Mount Carmel in chapter 18, that he is publicly proclaiming and making statements in the name of the Lord God, but he had to be a praying man to do that. Uh, maybe you've seen people in the last couple of years who were public figures, preachers or people in the congregation. People who had amassed a, 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 a great following. However, they had fallen away or they had a great moral uh, misfire and they, did, and they failed in ministry or money or they failed in their marriage. Well, usually people who have stopped praying privately fall publicly. Amen. So Elijah to be able to do this because he has the same nature as us means he has to be a praying man. Here we know that God is speaking to Elijah just like he speaks to us congregation. The Bible is how God speaks to us. This is God speaking to us through the Bible. Don't tell me that God is not speaking to you while your Bible sits on your your bookshelf with dust on it. This is God speaking to us. Now how do we communicate with God? By our praying. This is what God says to us and this is us reacting by praying to God so we understand now that Elijah is a praying man you might say well what, what kind of Bible did Elijah have well he had the, he had the Pentateuch he had all the writings of Moses he had all the revelation that he needed at that time in fact he had more faith than we do let's be honest and he had less information than we do he had less illumination he had less understanding than we do so there's no excuse Christian for you not to be praying Ooh, mighty quiet on a Wednesday night. But we come here, he says, that the famine was severe in Samaria. In verse 3, an Ahab called Obadiah who was over the household. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Obadiah means uh, one who serves God. He's a servant of God. Now, you might understand, you might, you might say, well, how is Obadiah working for Ahab? Well you remember as we have studied that when Jeroboam took control of the northern kingdoms there was a great exodus of all those who served Yahweh. They ran to the south to get out of the country because they can see, they could read the, the tea leaves so to speak. They can see the writing on the wall. They knew that the nation was headed to destruction. So they go to the southern nation to, there with Jeroboam uh, they go with the Jeroboam and they go there and they, they worship the Lord, the one true God. However they were remnants there in the northern kingdom. And we see that Obadiah comes from those who were of the righteous order. They served God. Because Obadiah actually will tell Elijah, I followed the Lord from my youth. And it's good for us to follow the Lord from our youth. Uh, I believe my wife was telling me this week that she wants our children to have boring testimonies. That they didn't have to go through much troubles and much tribulations. Uh, Pray that they do, but if they don't, pray that God's hand still stays on them. Because I know many of you do not have boring testimonies that God had to bounce your head off the pavement or that God had to hold you down. God had to slap you around to the white meat show so you can understand that you were the prodigal awful ways. And God had you come to yourself and say, I'll return to my father because even the servants eat better than this. So we see here that Obadiah is under Ahab. It's just like God to put a righteous person in a wicked place. That's just the way God does. He goes into the darkness and overcomes it. I want you to remember that in the book of Romans, Paul was writing to the house of Caesar. And he says, your faith is heard about all over the world. He tells the Romans, the Roman Christians, that people are hearing about your faith. And it's making an impact. In a dark, pagan place like Rome, there were Christians. Even in the book of Daniel. We know that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a pagan place under Darius, under the wicked kings of Nebuchadnezzar. But God put a remnant there. God always puts a remnant. He always puts a place of safety and mercy and grace. God does not totally forsake. Thanks be to God. So we see that Obadiah is in the household of Ahab. And if you were Ahab, wouldn't you want a believer to be over your household? You wouldn't want somebody who believed like you if you were Ahab. Ahab was a cutthroat killer. He was cold-blooded. And he uh, he was uh, greedy and wicked. You wouldn't hire somebody like that to take care of your household. You would want somebody loyal, somebody who had morals, somebody who was upstanding, somebody who was holy. So of course, every Christian should be a model citizen as well as a good employee. Ooh, amen. I hope I didn't step in somebody's cornflakes, but it's true. That we should be responsible before God and before man. That we have an open testimony. Uh, Let it be said, Christian, that you can't say I love Jesus and cheat on your taxes. Now, 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 believe me. I believe taxation is theft. Absolutely. I might go to jail for saying that, but it's true. Render unto Caesar what's Caesar's. But give to God what's God's. Amen. Amen. Oh, I'm paying my taxes, by the way, if anybody's wondering. (laughs) I am paying, I am paying. But anyway, we see that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. That he was a Christian, as Christian as you can be in First Kings. Because Christ had not came yet, he was a believer in the one true God. And when Jezebel, verse 4, cut off all the prophets of the Lord. Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave. And fed them with bread and water. We see here that Obadiah is strengthening the people of God. When Jezebel was killing them... He goes and hides now, obviously Jezebel did not know, and of course Ahab didn 't know what Obadiah was doing he was hiding in caves now many theologians and commentaries say that right there at Mount Carmel where the big event will take place is there are many caves and taverns, and of course that 's where they hid these 50s they hid the people the high priests and the Levites who stayed in the northern kingdom so I want you to really think if you know the story of Elijah when he 's on top of the mountain, taking on 850 pagans. Under the mountain were the people of God praying as well as Elijah. Amen. So we see here they were fed with bread and water. Notice they didn't have filet mignon. There was no caviar. There was no mac and cheese. There was nothing extra. God will give you your necessities, not your luxuries. Amen. He always gives enough and God is always enough. We see here that In verse 5, And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go therefore to the land, to all the springs of water, to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. Now, some commentaries I've read said that it just shows the coldness of Ahab. That he has more fondness for the animals than the people. Because at this point, the land is parched quite dry. However, he's willing to get out and work for the animals. However, I have to disagree. Maybe the people, they have to take take issues in their own hands, get out and find the water themselves, not lean on the government. The worst thing you can hear is, I'm from the government, I'm here to help you must be industrious, you must be able to take you, there's no help coming, it, it, it all hangs on you, you're not going to be rescued, you have to, you have to trust in the Lord, and to, you just can't lean against a shovel and pray for a hole, you have to be uh, busy putting legs on your prayers, here we uh, need to understand that, that, that the Lord opens His hand and feeds every living thing, that the early bird gets the worm, but God don't drop the worm in the bird's mouth, you have to get up, that's why the Bible says that if you don't labor, you don't eat, Oh, amen. I just made a lot of people mad, but that's all right. Send all the emails to the deacons. So we see they go to the land. They look for all the springs of waters in the valleys. Perhaps they can find grass to save the horses and mules and not lose some of the animals. So in a pagan society, you will always consider bald eagles or uh, muskrats more important than embryos and children in the womb. Mm. Did you know there's laws that protect certain nutria, certain rats and beavers, but they don't protect the womb? Did you know that in America, the most lethal place you can be is in the womb of a mother? I thought we were going to pass laws to protect all Americans. I don't want to get political, just biblical. In verse number 6, so they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. In verse 7, and as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, It is you, my lord Elijah. And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. Now I want you to notice the posture of Obadiah. Obadiah is the second most powerful man in all of the nation. However, he prostrates himself before the prophet of God. He lowers himself because he sees where the true power is. Even though Obadiah in the national eye is more important than this crazy prophet who lived out in the wilderness. Who prophesied something that was ominous for the nation. He humbled himself before the man of God. He bows himself and he says, is it you? He says, yeah, go tell your boss that I'm here. And verse number 9, he said, how have I sinned that you would give me your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As for the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they have not found you. So we see that Ahab has been looking for Elijah. That they've sent out spies, emissaries, all, all kinds of people to, to, to check on the surrounding nations. Hey, is Elijah being housed or finding a place of refuge in neighboring nations? And they say, no, well, if he ain't here, you better best for sure that he ain't. You better double check because I'm coming to kick the house down. If he is, we can see that Elijah has been wanted, been a wanted man. In verse 11, and see, you say, go tell your Lord. Tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab, we have found you. He will kill me, though I, I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. We see it from his own mouth that I have feared Yahweh. When you see the word Lord in your Bible, and if it's capitalized, that's the name Yahweh in your English Bible. The Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And he says, has it not been told, my Lord, that I did when the Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred of them in the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? Now we can see that Obadiah is saying, I have believed in the Lord, but also I have done things in the name of the Lord. That's where we believe, we say here at the river, we believe in faith alone. We We believe in faith alone, it just takes faith to find redemption and grace. But whenever you believe, there will always be works that come along with your faith. You're believing. Be living is two words. Believing is squished together. Be living. If I am be living, i be living in the way I live. i being and I'm living. If I believe that Drano will kill me if I drink it, I would not drink Drano because I believe i be living it. But if I drink Drano, my profession does not match what, I, what I'm actually doing. Will I be living uh, and killing myself with the poison I'm drinking? Here we see that Obadiah says, I have served the Lord for my youth. And this is the things I've done. This is really good for us Christians to take our fingers and put on our pulse and say, I have a profession of faith, but does the faith possess me and cause me to be empowered to do good works in the name of the Lord? I wonder, how is your ministry? You profess Christ, but do you do things for Christ? Do you believe in Christ? And if you do, it will empower you because the book of Ephesians says he equips us, he makes us for good works, that our profession is not enough, that other people will see us in our works and our living, how we treat our spouses, how we work in the marketplace, how we deal with those who are not believers, how we believe and how we be living. So we see here, he says, this is what I've done. Even the book of James tells us that, show me your faith and I'll show you my works. Now you say, you say preacher, don't you always say faith alone? Absolutely. James and Paul do not go against each other. Before God, it's faith alone. But before men, it, you, they see your works because of your faith alone. Is that understandable? I, I mean, I'm really putting the cookies on the bottom shelf here. I hope you're getting what I'm saying here. That when you believe it, everybody's going to be seeing it. Here we see... Now, Obadiah is saying, I, I, I've done all this. I hit a hundred men. It's obvious that I love the one true God. And now you say in verse 14, Go, tell your Lord, behold, Elijah's here, and he will kill me because you're took up in a whirlwind. Well, actually, he does get took up in a whirlwind. That's found in Second Kings chapter number 2. He was a man with a leather belt on and a, 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 a horsehair coat. The, the prophets tell Elisha a little later. I don't want to spoil anything, but I hope you've read your Bible enough that I ain't spoiling nothing. But he gets caught up in a whirlwind. But it was the Lord who comes down and takes him in a whirlwind. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before on whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. In verse 15, I want you to see what he calls Yahweh, Lord of hosts and the original Aramaic, the Lord of hosts is the God of angel armies. Host is the one who is the general of the armies of heavens, the host and the fullness thereof. He says as surely as he is in power, I will show myself to your master today. And as he, the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand... I will surely show myself to him today. Verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. In verse 16. You see the king of the northern nation, Ahab, in all his glory, who was out searching for water, he comes to Elijah. Notice it's the lesser coming to the greater. Ahab doesn't go and find Ahaz. Uh, Elijah does not go and find Ahaz. Ahaz comes to Elijah. Once again, we see the power of God that ministers and pulpits are greater than magistrates, judges, senators. That they're speaking on behalf of God to the nation, to men, to women and children. So saith the Lord. So we see here the order of the lesser magistrate. That's a theology, systematic theology that speaks about the order of God who has men in position and we should bow our heads and receive the word of God. But if the minister is not speaking the word of God, vote him out, kick him out, kick the snake out and get somebody faithful in the pulpit who will preach the word of God. But Christian, to be able to do that, you must know your Bible yourself. You cannot be spoon fed by the pulpit. You must be handling your Bible each and every day. I tell you what, if you had a doctor or a lawyer who treated the law and uh, the, the the laws of biology and, and study of medicine like you treat your Bible, would you want that doctor or lawyer? No, you would want them to know what the, the book says. What does the law say? Would you want your accountant to be as lackadaisical with your accounting as you are with Scripture? Hmm. You should be handling your Bible every day. No, it will not happen overnight. But you need to handle it every day. Have the Bible in your hand, in your ears, in your eyes. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech ye, brothers, by his tender mercies, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and presentable before the Lord, that you are renewed in your mind day by day. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing by the hearing of the Word of God. You want your faith to grow, you need to hear it and hear it and hear it. Lord knows we're told lies every day until we believe them. Why not told the truth until we actually believe it? Amen, preacher. So Obadiah, verse 16, went to find Ahab and they came to meet Elijah. In Verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Listen to Ahab, throwing out insults as soon as he walked up. In verse 18, I'm glad Elijah ain't sarcastic. I'm glad he don't fire back. Oh, he does. Okay. Maybe sarcasm is a gift from God. Maybe it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. I guess it's not. <laughs> I wish it was, then i would be holy. Amen. We see in verse 18, and he answered, I am not a troubler of Israel, but you have, and your father's house. Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed, his, followed the bells. Basically, Elijah said, your mama. He said, no, nah, it won't me. It ain't me. I ain't the one who's the trouble of Israel. It's you. You're the one who's forsaken the Lord and his commandments. How did Ahab respond? He don't. Maybe his conscience. Maybe his conscience was burning in him. He knew the accusatory. He deflected it upon himself. You Elijah, it's you. No, it's you. And you're forsaking the Lord. Mm. Things is getting deep, aren't they? You've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Why ain't Ahab running to the Baals? Make it rain. Because isn't Baal known as the Canaanite storm god? In Baal that bull, who's this? He, he, this the, he's he's carved into stone as a bull. And he also has uh, 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 in, in his mane is usually flicked up in, in the carvings because they believe he's also the god of fire and rain. But if he can, if he can burn the, the mountainside, he can also bring rain on the mountainside. So this bell must be very powerful. So why didn't Ahab run to the bell? He's searching for Elijah, who said it ain't going to rain here by the name of the Lord God of hosts. So he's searching them out. So when he speaks, he speaks with conviction. He doesn't respond in verse 19. Now therefore send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. He tells Ahab, go, go tell them this. Run to tell that. We're going we're gonna to have camp meeting. Over here on Mount Carmel. Well, why do he choose Mount Carmel? There, there's an altar there. If you go back and read your Bible, you'll see that's probably the place where uh, Jacob made an altar there. There's been uh, Abraham's made an altar there. as he wandered the wilderness and walked. And God spoke to Abraham by faith, and Abraham believed it. Everywhere that Abraham walked in the foot, wherever he tread, that's where he knew his people would inherit one day. Even though his wife's womb was dead and could not bring forth children, by the power of God, he keeps his promises. And now the altar was laying in disarray. So Elijah says, let's go back to the place and it's in disarray let's go there bring all the army with it bring all the pagans bring all your scholars and scribes all your theologians bring them all let's get, let's get down to business so in verse number 20 so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you be limping between two different opinions? Now when he says limping between two different opinions in the the natural Aramaic, the limping is, is where you can actually imagine a little bird. Imagine a little finch or sparrow in your mind leaping from one branch to the other. That's what he's implying here. How long will you limp between one branch? How long will you go from one support to the other? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Don't flip-flop. Don't be on again, off again. Don't be a Christ-er. Don't be on. Don't only come to church on Christmas and Easter. And, and when we have homecoming. Make up your mind. Either serve the Lord or not. Is what he's saying here. If he was preaching here today. Let's be honest. Don't, don't flip-flop. Don't, don't say, well, I love Jesus and live like the devil. And the people did not answer him a word. I can understand that because I preached hard here and nobody said nothing. I guess it's biblical, ain't it? That's all right. <laughs> and when Elijah said to the people, I, even I am only am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal, Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now, Christians, we do know that there are at least 100 there in the region. But I'm sure, I know, without a shadow of doubt, that Elijah felt alone. There have been many Sundays, many Wednesdays, I've felt alone. But then again, that's where we have our own pity parties as a minister. Well, And maybe it's true of you, that I'm the only Christian in my family. I'm the only Christian on the job. I'm the only one here. I'm the only one who loves Jesus, it seems like. Everybody around me is wicked. I, I may be the black sheep in my family, but I'm the only one who loves Jesus. Maybe that's what's going on with Elijah here. But the truth of the matter is under Mount Carmel there was a hundred prophets or many men of God who were praying to God. Probably in that instance. However, all of Israel came. And it's possible that these men stumbled out of the caverns and came out of the caves and were present at this huge event. Because they can easily blend in with the population as this big showdown on Mount Carmel is about to take place. However, Elijah could have saw him, or he might not have. But I know he felt alone in this situation. But Christian, let me encourage you. Because as I'm encouraging you, I'll encourage me. For when I'm standing alone at this pulpit or at this podium, I am not alone. For one with God is a majority. Amen. 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 I'm just, I just going to let that hang there because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug that a little later. I'll, I'll need that this Sunday or the next. In ten years, I'll plug that. I may feel alone, but I ain't. Because I don't walk by how I feel, I walk by faith. As much as I preach that to you, the man of God, the preacher needs to hear it himself. That I'm not moved by how I feel, but walking in faith. So pray. Pray as those 100 other servants of God pray for Elijah on the national platform. Pray for your preacher that he'll be faithful. Stand flat-footed behind the podium and won't flinch. Not watering down the gospel to make it platable to our society and our culture. Amen. Here we see that I am only left a prophet of the Lord, and Baal's prophets are 450 men. And let two bulls be given to us, and let those choose one bull for themselves, and cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood. But put no fire to it. Now the reason he says put no fire to it, is like I told you, the symbolism of Baal that was carved into marvel was a bull with licks of flames in his hair. Because they actually believe that he could call fire down from heaven. Well, the Bible actually tells us that the devil can do that. If you read the book of Job, Job chapter 2, it said that the devil sent down fire and consumed the, the, the cattle of, of, uh, of Job. We also see in, in Revelation, I believe it's in chapter 6, that the, the false prophet can call fire down from heaven, that he can. In this instance, he says don't put any fire there because we also know that there are false wonders and false miracles that take place. We spoke about that this past Sunday and we'll reiterate that when we look through the book of Luke again in chapter number 11. False wonders and false, false miracles. That there the, the prophets of Baal had been known to make a little place under the altars, a place to kindle the fire. And when the oxygen would hit it, hitting those hot coals, it, it would send up flames to burn the sacrifice there on the altar to cause the naive to say, well, Baal is the one true God. It just set fire. I saw it as they laid the sacrifice on the altar. The fire sprung up. So that's why here Elijah is on to their schemes. False wonders. I don't know if you've heard about many of the, uh, the early revivals in the early 2000's. Whenever were uh, revival, they would say in a certain area in Florida, there was revivals there and people were worshipping God and they would find angel feathers in the congregation. And go, wow, I can't believe it was angel feathers. Well, all it was was somebody putting some feathers in the vents of the air conditioner. They would say, well, there's gold falling. It's on my face. Look, the glories of heaven has fallen here. And it was glitter that was put into air conditioning just to conjure up a false miracle, just to stir up people's emotions. Uh, I know some people say the Holy Spirit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues and barking like a dog rolling on the floor. No, the Holy Spirit will tell you to shut up and tell you how to live, to have fruit of love, peace, joy, long-suffering, steadfastness, and love for your neighbor. We don't need false wonders anymore. So getting back to the point here, he tells them not to, not to put any fire to it. So they had to build the altar there at Mount Carmel. at 450 plus the other 400, they could build an altar pretty quick. They could quarter up this bull pretty fast. In verse 26, And you call upon your name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, is his, He is God. And the people answered, It is well spoken. So the people finally respond. He's drawing a line in the sand. He says, All right, we're going to find out the one true God today. And Elijah said to the prophet Sabel, Choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first, for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull. Thou has given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar, and they had that they had made. So from morning to noon, at least three or four or five hours, they limp, which means to dance, to enchant around the altar. There were, can you imagine the sight, the noise at Mount Carmel? Can you imagine the people who came to watch? How bored they probably are at this point. Wondering, where is their God? Why hasn't he shown up yet? And at noon, Elijah mocked them to ashore, crying, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing or he's relieving himself, for he must be awakened. Here Elijah says he's probably using the bathroom. Leave a message after the beep. You you got you got to wake him up. Arouse your God. Wake him from his slumber, Christian. I want to let you know that our God is not so weak that he has to slumber. When he made creation, he rested on the seventh day. Not because he needed to, but because we need to. Have you ever taught your children, do like daddy, do what I'm doing? The best way to teach is to imitate. And our God tells us to rest. Not that he needed to rest, but because we needed to. God was not tired on the Sabbath day. He could have kept right on going for an eternity. For he still is God. He still reigns. He's still sovereign. So this Baal... Maybe he was asleep. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he was used in the bathroom. In verse 28, And they cried aloud and cut themselves for their custom with swords and lances and blood gushed out from them. Now, there are many people who know about the, the, uh, the ceremonies of uh, bloodletting. It's, mo- it's actually making a comeback in our society. It's to bleed yourself to honor God by lashing and in, lacerations into your body to please God in, in ceremonies. And they do that here to gather the attention of God. Believing that the pain pleases their God. That's where they get twisted in our God. For the lacerations that were actually required were put on Jesus. And that's what pleases our God. The stripes across His back was for us. The piercing of His wrist was for us. The pressing in on the brow. The giving up the life was for us. He doesn't require that of us. To die for Him. No, that's another religion. That's the religion of, quote, peace. Where you strap a bomb to yourself and blow up the infidel so you can inherit paradise. No, our God, our King, our Savior died that we can have paradise. Oh, that is so good to me. And that's so offensive to people. And as midday passed, they raved on in verse 29 until the time of offering of oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. In verse 29, time is now past. Now we're around the three o'clock hour. Now it's time. If you're a student of your Bible, you know that it's time for the Passover lamb. At this time is where all of Jerusalem would take the lambs. They call it the silence of the lambs, as the lamb would die, and they would lay it on the, the place of offering. In verse 29, and Elijah said to all the people, "Come near to me." And all the people came to him, and he repair the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down in verse 30 we see that this was the altar of the Lord and he repairs it it had been laying in disarray you can know much about the, the state of the people's hearts you can know much about the the, the, the temperature of people and their, their fire for God by the way the house of the Lord looks and the, the, the way if the house of the Lord is took care of people care you might say well this is just the building but this is the building we meet in in the name of the Lord amen Yes, yes, we've met in the fellowship hall with the walls gutted before, but it looked good it sure did we took care of it as best we could as we take care of our own homes we take pride in it we take in, take pride in what God has given to us as the family comes together on Sundays and Wednesdays to gather at the table to eat we vacuum we dust we take care of it make sure things are working to honor God but here we see that the altar of the Lord was in disarray they kicked it down maybe it was Jezebel's people maybe it was Jeroboam's over the time and generations they said well we don't need that altar anymore we got this cutting edge edge altar it's got all this engraving it's got gold in it it's bell. It, it's the new trend that is old fashioned knock it down it's in the way now we see Elijah using 12 stones like Jacob's children he puts the 12 stones into place like we read in the book of Leviticus that there will be no cutting tool on the altar that he just piles up the stones just to remind you Christians that we don't use 12 stones anymore we have a cornerstone. Oh, he who has an ear, let him hear and remember that we base it all on him, Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, that's just, just so good to me. I want to pause there, but we can't. And he said, come near. And he starts to rebuild the the, the stones there. In verse 31, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name He still calls His people. He still named. If you name something, you have ownership over. If you have a pet, you name that that pet. If you have a child, you name that child. Because you're raising and rearing that child. You name them. And He named Israel. In verse 32, And with the stones He built an altar in the name of the Lord. Amen. Have you built an altar in the name of the Lord? A place where you go and sacrifice? Is it here at the river? Is it in your house? Where is it? And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar. As great as he could contain two sheas of seed. Okay, what are you doing, Elijah? That's not in Leviticus where you have to build a trench. In verse 33, And he put wood on in order and cut the bull in pieces. I, I want you to just pause here. I know I'm running out of time, but we're going to get there. In verse 33, You notice he lays the wood down first. Take notice of the detail, Christian. There's a reason he lays the wood down first because God prescribed it in Leviticus. But we also see it not only here at Mount Car- Carmel, but we see it at Calvary. The wood is laid down first, then the sacrifice on the wood. For they didn't just catapult Jesus on the cross. They laid Him on the cross. If you've ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ or any movie of John, the Gospel of John, where they laid Jesus down on the cross because the wood goes down first and He is the sacrifice. Listen to me, Christian. He is the perfect sacrifice. No more lambs are needed. No more no more pigeons, no more doves, no more oxen. Jesus, the Lamb, perfect Lamb of God, your propitiation, your substitute, is laid down on the wood as we see here in this instance. Uh, remember, every verse is a foreshadowing of Christ. We see it here as, uh, as Elijah is laying the sacrifice on the wood. Our Jesus was laid on the wood. Oh, that's good. Okay, okay, come back. Let's go back. He cut the bull into pieces in verse 33 and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering on the wood and on the wood. So we see here at a time, now don't forget, I know you've already forgot. At a time when they're in the middle of a famine, water is life. Water here is expensive but the people are willing for him to use the water because they know if this goes down wrong, they're going to kill Elijah. Because not only is it taking all days, taking their time, but now it's taking something very valuable. Many commentaries and theologians say at this point, he probably used three barrels and he does it three times, four times. He does it four times. Three times four is twelve. Twelve tribes of Israel. Perfect. Before the second time he says in verse 34, And did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. At this point, the sacrifice is drenched as well as the wood. It don't look good if you're looking at it naturally. You might say, what is this God doing? He's digging a hole literally for Himself. The trench is filled with water in verse 35 all around the altar. And the time of the offering oblation came in verse 36. Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that you have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that the people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And that they have turned their back; that they have turned their back, hearts back, much like when Jesus stood in front of Lazarus' tomb in John 11. He prays out loud, not just because uh, he has a relationship with God, but he prayed out loud so the people could hear. The point is reconciliation. Elijah is saying, "Turn the hearts back to you." He's praying over the altar and praying to the one true God, Christian. The Bible tells you that God will give you the desires of your heart. And He, he beckons you to cry and pray unto Him. But what you should pray is for, Lord, change my desires to match your will. Because many times we pray selfishly as we study the book of James, and we know that. And the book of James, as we started with, tells us that He was a man just like us in our nature. He had our our fallacies. He had our weaknesses. Yet he prayed. What did he pray? He prayed the will of God. And Christian, if you pray the will of God, you will have your will. The will of God is reconciliation. The will of God is, is bringing people home. That you have turned their hearts back. In verse 38, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering. The wood, the stones, and the dust licked up the water that was in the trench. And the people saw it in verse 39. And they fell on their faces and said, The Lord is the God. The Lord, He is God. To better put it, Yahweh is God. Yahweh, He is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Well, you might say, well, Elijah had to kill almost 850 people that day. But I want to let you know it was done in his name. For the people were enraged at this point. Because they had been lied to for almost generations That Baal is the one true God. Baal could not do anything. Baal could not even, he couldn't even wipe his own bottom if he was relieving himself. Here we see that Elijah says, You're gonna choose today, you're gonna find out today who is the one true God. So the people in the name of Elijah, in the name of Yahweh, go and kill all the prophets of Baal. So as we finish up tonight, I want you to look at verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink. For there is a sound of rushing rain. This is taking place on Mount Carmel. Because I want to let you know, it's tradition after uh, Levitically, for tradition to have a peace offering and then to eat from the altar. So the bull that was still there burning, the, the, bull, the one bull that was consumed by the power of God with all the water and the sand and the stones, there was this raw bull over here on the side. So what are they going to do with it? Well, of course, they would take the fire from the one true God's altar and burn that offering there and roast that oxen and have a feast that those that were gathered there on Mount Carmel would adhere to the biblical law. So that's why Elijah says, go up and eat and drink. Have a festival. In verse 42, so Ahab went up and eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees. Ahab goes and has the meal with the Lord. But nowhere do you see here that Ahab has changed in his heart. We see a change in the people. I mean, to kill 850 uh, prophets that are false, that's that's a big change when you were tithing to them earlier, adhering to what they say, uh, being under the bondage. But here we see that Ahab eats because he listens to Elijah. And Elijah goes up and he bows himself to the earth. In verse 43, he said to his servant, Go now, look towards the sea. And he went and he looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again. Seven times. Christian, let me ask you this. Have you ever prayed for something and you didn't see anything change? I wonder when Elijah was there praying to God, Lord, send a rain. Lord, send a rain. Lord, Drench this place. Lord, send a flood. Lord, bring life again. Lord, bring it. You see anything? Is anything changing? Anything? Let me go check. No, nothing's changing. It's still dry. Dry as dust. Dry in a Methodist sermon. It's dry. There ain't nothing going on. Okay, let me pray again. Lord, send a rain. Lord, do something here. I know you are God. You already showed the people that you're God. You already revealed yourself. Lord, send a rain. Go check. Any change? No, it ain't raining a bit. It ain't even dew on the ground. There ain't even a cloud in the sky. Do you know what you're doing, Master? Let me pray. It says seven times. Can you imagine if that was you and you were Elijah? How discouraged you'd probably be around three Maybe four. You might even say, well, maybe God's busy. Maybe He's not with me anymore. But God already told him, I'm going to send the rain. So why does He have to plead? Why does He have to beg God? No. It's not like that. We don't have to plead and beg God to do what He's already said He's going to do. A lot of times, to be honest, He's changing us. In the seven times Elijah prayed and sent the servant, God was working on him. Why do you think? Well, he just... Killed 850 false prophets. He felt like he was all alone. In that teaching and that waiting. God was working on Elijah. As just as much as working on everybody else. God was working on him in the waiting. So what this means for you Christian. Is what we started with. That Elijah was a man with the same nature as us. He prayed and God answered. The prayers of the righteous as much as what the Bible says. God hears your prayers. Every time. But he's working on you every time. Because if Elijah had just answered prayer right off the bat, he might have got a big head and he might have been more ruined, worse off, thinking that he's all that and all powerful. That the Lord of the cosmos answers all all his prayers. But he asked seven times. Truthfully, Christian, God is more willing to give you than you're willing to ask. Truly, you're not ready for every blessing He has for you. He has to work you into refiner's fire. He has to humble you. Can you think now in your life, if you had the blessings you have now when you were much, much, much more young and more uh, more affluent, flip-flop, and the, the less experienced and less wise what you would have done and how you would have ruined yourself and those around you, you had to get where you are by God's grace and mercy. So he prayed seven times. I can imagine. I've prayed. But Christian, in the middle of the prayer, in the middle of the seven times, or however many times, maybe you've prayed a hundred times, two hundred, maybe you've lost count. Continue to pray. For our God hears our prayers. Don't stop now. Now is not the time to slack off. Now is the time to, to bear down and ask again. Cry out to Him. Keep knocking and saying, Lord, intercede. Lord, move. Lord, save. Bring the prodigal home. Lord, heal me. Touch me. Put me back together. Hold on to me. Now is not the time to grow silent. Now is the time to bear down with your head between your knees, humbling yourself before God and asking Him again. Here we see that He asked Him seven times. And then 44, And at the seventh time He said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, go down, lest the rain stop you. <coughs> Wait a minute. That's all? That's all you get is a little, little cloud the size of a man's hand? That's this much, y'all. Five, six, seven inches, maybe. If your brother will, 18 inches. I mean, he's got a big hand. <laughs> That's all the change, you see. But it's change that only God could bring. Have you prayed? Have you prayed and seen any change? Then it was God who did that. It wasn't natural. Of course, in the middle of a drought, it was God who sent the rain. I bet the neighbors of the nation of Israel got all the rain, but they didn't. But now, out of the ocean comes a little cloud. And he says, that's the change I've been waiting for. Get ready. The floodgates are about to break through. If you've got a loved one who's mentioning things about the Bible, go ahead and thank God for it. Because he told Ahab, hey, get ready and get out of town before the rain overtakes you, before there was ever a cloud. Go ahead and proclaim and thank God for the blessing before it even, even shows any sign of change. Thank you, Lord, for saving my family. Thank you, Lord, for holding me together even though I'm falling apart. Thank you, Lord, for providing for me even though things look like they're going sideways. I go ahead and thank you now. Have you ever prayed for something that you've already got in your hand? You do it every time whenever you pray over your food. The food's right there and you thank Him for it and you thank Him that He's going to provide again. Why don't you go ahead and thank Him before the food's in front of you? Thank you, Lord. I give you praise. I'm excited. I lift up your name. I make much of you. I magnify the Lord because you were on my side. You fought the battle for me. You defended me. You kept me. You walked beside me. You carried me. You even drugged me in some places. Lord, and I give you praise and honor. That's what Elijah does. He does it in faith. In verse 41, Ahab, go up and eat and drink. For the sound of rushing rain is coming. Do you pray like that? It's a good day to start. Go up, go to Ahab, prepare your chariot, get out of town, lest the rain stop you. Verse 44. And in a little while, the heavens grew black and the clouds and the wind and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Christian, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that the Spirit of the Lord gives power and strength to our mortal bodies. You want the secret to living a long life? It's the Lord. He's the one who breathes into our lungs. The Bible says that the word of the Lord cuts the marrow. It cuts between, it distinguishes between the, the spirit and the soul and the marrow. That it's not only good for your spirit; it's good for your body. It's good for your mind. We see here that he girded up his loins. He girded, he, he took up his garment. What that means is, back in the biblical times, that they wore they wore uh, long robes. And I don't know if you've got a house coat, if you've got a moo-moo, or whatever you wear around your house. It's hard to run if you need to run in a house coat or a long dress or whatever. What he did is he reached down, grabbed the hem of his robe, and tucked it into his belt. And he took off for running. How did he outrun a chariot? The Spirit of the Lord came on him. An old prophet outran a chariot. You might say, that That's ridiculous. Okay. That ain't even the hardest stuff to believe. That a man could walk on water and tell the waves to lay down. That he could tell the blind to see and they see. And the deaf could hear. That they killed him and he rose again on the third day. But I believe it. It's there. You'll be able to do things that God, without God you naturally can't do. And maybe you are. But here Elijah outran him and met him at the entrance of Jezreel. Christian, what is, what is this for you? How does this work for you? Just turn back to James chapter 5, verse 17. And Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was just like you. Have you ever read a biblical account of a, a person in the Bible and said, Well, I could never be like Daniel. I mean, he prayed three times a day. He saw the Lord, he was a vegetarian. There's no way I could do any of that stuff he was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently. That's the key. Fervently. That means hot with fire, with passion. Christian, what he's telling us through the text is be intentional about your prayers. Know what you're praying about. Be intentional. Be passionate about your prayers. I heard Charles Spurgeon quote once. that said, it's better to have... It's better to have no words than words without tears and without heart. If you're going to pray, don't go through the motions. Don't just mention, dear God who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Don't, don't even waste your time. Pray with fire and passion. When people are passionate about something, they're willing to die for it. Are you willing? Are you willing to lay yourself down and say, God, do this, lest I die. Save my family. Revive me and my church. Put fire in the pulpit as well as the pew and even the choir loft. Lord, bring your presence down on my community. Save my co-workers. Lord, touch my city. Lord, don't, don't let it be a casual prayer. Be fervent in your prayers. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years. and six months it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again. And heaven gave rain and the earth bore fruit. But you'll notice verse 19 and 20. Go with verse 17 and 18. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back, a sinner from the wandering, will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What he's doing here in context, and I will do no favors to you to take this out of context, is pray for the wayward. Pray fervently. Be a soul winner. And put legs on your prayers. Pray as if it was all dependent on you or dependent on God and pray like you're the only one who's witnessing. Pray. Pray that God will send a labor and then you be laboring. Pray fervently. It's better to have no words than words without heart. Let's bow our heads and try that and pray.